Welcome to Changing Reels, a podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time. My name is Courtney Small. I write about film for several publications, including That Shelf, where this show is hosted, and Cinema Access, to name a few. I'm also the co-host of the podcast Frameline. Today I'm joined by podcaster, writer, and musician Daniel Grant. Daniel is the podcast manager at ThatShelf.com, the co-host of the pop culture podcast Spoiled Rotten, and the host of the podcast Movies vs. Matrimony, which he does with his wife Pauline. Daniel is also the author of the self-published novel Better Than Me, and has a screenplay that is currently being turned into a feature film. Did I, did I get that right, Daniel? Yes, yes, we are. We just did some filming last weekend as well, so yes, it's, it's on its way. Oh, how's that going when you're starting to actually see your vision come to life? The good thing is I've got actors that genuinely want kind of my feedback on what's going on. I I had my first instance where an actor pushed back on some lines, but it it got resolved pretty easily. There was no hurt feelings either way. Yeah, I guess once you're you're finally in it, you have to be somewhat open to the actor's interpretation or the actor's vision yes i i spent a lot of time mentally preparing for that before we even started casting i was like all right this is how i like it but the point of this is to get someone that brings something else to it and uh i just need to be okay with that excellent do we have a rough time frame of when this film might be out to the public i know it's still early in the process yeah i mean we'll probably be finished filming sometime this fall just because there needs to be a break as we do a time jump in the movie. So the main actor kind of wants to let his gray grow back in and have a, a different kind of look as we go into the second half of the movie. So we are filming in chronological order as much as possible. Oh, excellent. Well, we look forward to that. Our main film for today is the 2014 satire Dear White People, directed by Justin Simeon. The film focuses on four black students as they navigate issues of race, gender, sexuality at the predominantly white Ivy League school, Winchester University. Daniel, do you want to kick us off with some of your initial thoughts on this film? Yep. So I think when I first saw the movie, well, this is 2014, right? But yes. I think I, when I first saw it, it kind of helped that I was seeing it with like a bunch of U of T students. I didn't go with them, but they were just at the theater when I went to go see it. So they really kind of like with their snapping and their mm-hmmm's and stuff. I was kind of like, all right, I see where this movie is going. And it, it kind of helped me frame just feeling like, I guess this movie is different specifically for its portrayal of black youth and not trying to uh, make it seem like a monolith as i rewatched it yesterday for this episode i was kind of like i guess it's not that groundbreaking but i did still feel like for its time and since there's been movies that have come out since that kind of help fill out that space it doesn't feel as striking i guess is the word i would say but i still i enjoyed it just on a, a narrative level and i do feel like the ending is pretty effective when they kind of show you the real universities that put on parties such as the one that kind of is at the center of this movie yeah, I remember just before this movie came out, and maybe even a little bit afterward, you were getting news reports of these type of parties mm-hmm. that were happening in the States, and even here in Canada, you know, at my old university, they had incidents of these cases that were reported. And mine too. Yeah. And it was one of those things where I remember at the time, people were thinking, oh, this is just getting out of hand. They were just, all they were doing is just, you know, respecting whatever famous celebrity they joined it was all in good fun it you know there's no issue that we need to be discussed and then you fast forward what almost a, a little over a decade later and in canada we have the trudeau 
blackface yeah. scandal that comes out. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, he needs to go. This is a travesty. And it's like, <laughs> oh, really? It's it's amazing how when it's convenience exactly. become an, an issue. And, and I think for me, I really enjoyed this film. This film came out probably a little over a decade after I finished university, but it hit me hard because I identified with the characters. I, I like what you said. They don't create, present Black as a monolith, but even in its presentation, there was traits in each character that I identify with and me my too. experience in university. Because I went to Western Ontario, at least the time I went, it was still a predominantly white school, and me being a Black student, I was kind of like the minority of the minorities. Yep, I tried to get into Western. That was that was my number one. I didn't have a plan B. Oh, Western okay. was, Western was my school just because it was when I was going into university that was the main that was the main line basically to become an intern at MTV or Much Music those were the, the kind of the CTV umbrella was kind of like they were only hiring from Western and I want to say Waterloo oh really so okay. that was kind of so that was kind of those one of those things where I was like that's where I need to be because that's kind of what I want to get into I went to McMaster that was the only university that kind of came to my school that I was like I remember them presenting so I, I put that on my list of three universities I wanted to go to and there was a back and forth with Western but it ended up going to McMaster which I'm happy about but I did feel a lot of what certain characters felt in this movie even at McMaster where I do feel like it was more I mean obviously it was still predominantly white but there seemed to be a little bit more respect for I can't say black culture in general but hip-hop culture mm -hmm. and so there was an element of that line of like all right how much of this is just people's genuine appreciation and how much of this is appropriation and just straight up um, insulting. Yeah, and they were, we're definitely going to dive into to that a bit further. And I'll say my time at Western was good in the sense that I didn't encounter any of those type of parties. But just the the feeling of kind of being the, the odd man out. You, you know, my wife and I talked about this because she went to Western as well, although we met years later. And oh, wow. We always discuss about how we... We've been trained since young and conditioned to learn how to navigate white spaces. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of times when we're the only person of color in the room or one of few. So whole life we've been kind of conditioned to how to navigate that, whether it be multicultural situations or just situations where we're the only one in the room. Whereas I've noticed that some of my friends who are great people while eating, they don't necessarily have the same thing. So sometimes I've noticed when they're outnumbered in a particular sense, they're not as comfortable. They tend to, mm. to be a little more quiet when you talk about issues of race and things like that. But, you know, I think a good jumping off point is talking about how, you know, identity and I guess in many ways the theme of trying to wear a mask in these type of spaces. Because mm -hmm. that's something that occurs a lot in this film with the various characters. So how, how do you feel like this film portrays the identity and I guess being a person of color in a predominantly white space? I I think especially upon rewatching, I really was in on the Sam, I believe her last name's White, Sam White, played by Tessa Thompson, and Lionel, who, uh, it's the kid from Everybody Hates Chris. I feel like his first name's Tyler, but I can't remember yep. now. Yeah, Tyler James. More so this time with Sam and, and the idea that her mask is, is, and I feel like people kind of call it out early on, but like she's trying to compensate because she's mixed race. So she feels like there's a, there's a certain way she needs to present so that she can say the things she wants to say. And I liked kind of seeing the toll that was taken on her, especially when she has that conversation at the end about how she treated her dad when she would be going to school. And so there was just a lot of layers of her trying to 
compensate for things in her life, which real I thought was really well done. The Lionel character, what I liked was the idea of him having to go to the predominantly black house because he was being bullied in the predominantly white one for being gay. And it was kind of like, yeah, I, just him being like, I, I don't know. I don't know what's worse. And then him having to confront um, some of the main characters when they're like, you know, we're not all homophobic. And he's just trying to get out of the conversation as quickly as possible. I really like that. And especially as it pertained to his hair, because that's something I missed the first time when they were kind of like, what's the deal with your hair? And he's like, well, I'm growing it out. And they're like, no, this guy's growing it out. You've got something else going on here. And that felt like another mask he was putting on this this huge fro and the, and the, the unease he felt in most of the circles he was in. Yeah, there's that great scene where... I think he's just sitting on campus and he's looking at the gay students having a conversation and then he envisions himself being able to freely dress how he wants and and go up and have a conversation with them. And then he turns and looks at the black students who are huddled having a conversation. And all of a sudden he's changed different clothes. You can see almost more stereotypical clothes. And he envisions himself being able to just hang out with them but he's the one that really struck a note with me because he's constantly getting pushed around mm-hmm. everywhere he goes everywhere he doesn't no matter what house they put him in he he doesn't belong and then he's hearing everyone else talk about oh their their hardships you know the the white students it's it's the toughest thing is being a white male in this society yeah you know the black students talking about their hardships and he's like you know it's tough just being me trying to navigate all these these different worlds and he's an interesting contrast to someone like sam who as you said she's also trying to navigate and she's she's doing it by overcompensating you know she she really likes gabe gabe is more her speed but she kind of flirts with reggie because he's the only available black male on on campus so you know she's trying to put up a front but then even that she gets tired of being portrayed as the angry black woman which is a common stereotype whenever a a woman of color tries to exert actual points and you know and try to stand up for for the unjust she gets labeled angry and it kind of gets dismissed so it's it's fascinating to see how they both navigate and lionel's essentially the one that starts the official revolution like sam talks about it a lot and gets everyone riled up but it's lionel throwing down the speakers and mm-hmm. destroying the part that really sets things off i agree yeah i so yeah those two characters and i think the other thing that was hard for me was i've watched both i think there's only been two seasons maybe there's three but i've watched all of the netflix series so I was kind of like, wait, when I was rewatching the movie, I'm like, oh, I guess that doesn't happen in the movie. That happens in the show. And I didn't know how much of that to pull into this conversation because I even at times confused at the timeline of the TV show. But this one, I, I think for the uh, the son of the dean of students, I can't remember. Uh, Troy? Yes, Troy. He really wants to be on that pastiche team, which I assume is some kind of analog for the team that usually kind of filters into snl from harvard just him that's kind of what you see he wants but can't really do that because that's not what his dad wants and that he's even a pawn in his dad's rivalry with the father of the other guy oh yes um president fletcher and his uh son kurt yeah yeah i knew the actor's name i didn't know the characters (laughs) that stuff was interesting to watch again it kind of gets more explored in the tv show or like like actually not even more explored just there's more to his character in the tv show this one seemed to 
be a little more constraint. But uh, I always liked even the first time I watched it when they kind of have that moment where Lionel and Troy both like Star Trek and um, Lionel even tries to make the excuse for why liking Star Trek shouldn't make you lose your black card. <laughs> He's like, yeah, how did that go for you? He's like, it never goes well. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's funny because you think decade, uh, not even a full decade later, but at least six years later, black nerd culture is mm-hmm. it's finally a lot more acceptable. But at the time when this film was made, it still was considered uh, an outlier on the on the internet and now it's being celebrated. So, I mean, I guess there is progression, but in, in the context of this film, progression comes at a at a steep, steep cost. And I think with Troy, when we talk about identity, I find how the film creates, or I guess outlines Troy and Coco is interesting as well, because they both have to live up to a standard that they don't necessarily feel comfortable with. So Troy has to live up to the Ivy League expectations. And, you know, sometimes he just wants to smoke some weed and write some jokes, but Mm -hmm. he can't do that because his father has an expectation for him and he wants to be able to live in white spaces and be successful. So he does his own version of code switching, which goes horrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you have someone like Coco, who comes from the south side of Chicago, but knows that just where she comes from automatically puts labels on her and she tries her hardest to avoid those labels and and in in some ways she goes a little too far and they both give up a bit of themselves Mm -hmm. to to fit in with the the white students and what the white students view of i guess being proper is yeah i the first time i watched it, the coco character was very interesting to me because as much as that like i didn't share her views on everything i thought it was at least nice that she wasn't necessarily presented as the out and out antagonist of the movie it was just another point of view and that's i that's kind of what i like overall about the movie is that there was different points of view and it wasn't even like there was one character that i 100 percent agreed with it was just as you said there was a pieces of stuff throughout all the characters that i could associate with and be like yeah i get that and so yeah coco is definitely a very interesting character i forgot to mention earlier that just even like her name and and how she had such disdain for her name and shortened it to coco and her blue eyes which always gets me even that moment where she says like now white women are tanning so they look darker than me but she still has to catch herself which isn't even that dark like i'm not that dark but all of that stuff of trying not to come off as what she sees as a typical black person yeah and, and she brings an interesting aspect to the the film because i remember the first time i watched it i i think i felt the most for for Coco just in terms of how Mm -hmm. her art goes because you think she's going to be like the villain of the four and you realize that they all make bad choices at different points but you really by the time it gets to the end you really feel for her because there's the aspect of colorism that she Coco is uh, aware of you know because she there's a I think there's a line where she she makes a comment about Sam's hair and how that doesn't necessarily make you right the beacon for for blackness but she also comments to Troy that black men that she's encountered think she's too dark and they use women that look like her as a stopgap to get to white women. Yeah. And it just, she brings a lot of interesting layers. And even when she decides to take to YouTube and be the anti-Sam, 
and she tries to also, you know, do her own version of Dear White People, but that's a little more white friendly. But when she gets to the party, she realizes that much like Chappelle, when he was doing a lot of those sketches right. of his show, trying to make people think, but the white students are just taking the worst aspects of it and having a great time. And like, they didn't get the, the satire. They just saw it as a excuse or the okay to think like this or act like that and you, we get that great moment at the party where coco sees some people mocking her and she realizes that she's she's gone too far and those students don't quite understand the real her yeah i i really liked the the party because it was the lionel character and the coco character that you could you can visually kind of see the toll it's taking on them being in that room Whatever they thought going into it, it's it's a bit too much for them to handle. And yeah, exactly like you said about the Chappelle, and I, I even put Chris Rock in that. It's kind of like these are very funny people that are doing stuff that kind of forces you to think, but then there is still that level of it where it could be taken past to say certain things or, or mimic certain things. It's funny because we see when Troy is with the pastiche boys at the, the Garmin house and he goes into code switching, trying to quote unquote blacken up just to show that, you know, he's down with the black culture and he's someone different. It's funny because most of the guys think he's great. They love his jokes. They love the, that he uses the N-word. And one guy even tries it. And Troy... Yeah, he's like, no, no, not you. Yeah, but he does it in a jokingly way, right? Like, he he, he he says, no, not you, but then still comes up with a joke that still kind of puts down black people mm -hmm. to make that guy feel okay. And I found it interesting that Kurt, who's like the head of the Garmin house, kind of sees through Troy. Definitely. He knows that Troy isn't as tough as he needs. Like, that Kurt is more afraid of Sam because Sam is someone that he can't quite read and he he thinks he can use his power and influence on sam but she just doesn't care to to sam he's just uh, another arrogant privileged white kid troy desperately wants to be kurt but then by the end he's still not his true self no that's that's where the show comes in that's where i kept mixing things up that i feel like you get a better sense of troy who troy is in the tv show and the in the movie he's kind of just it's what you said he wants to be part of the pastiche thing and the i mean the other element of troy is that he's got a girlfriend who also has, has got these expectations for him i mean she does say like certain things which like you used to like when i said that but i don't know how much of that is just she just wants to say that and he's tired of it it could also be that he just allowed it for so long god he's not been himself for so long that he's got significant other that he can't he's got to hide from that by taking showers he can't have any kind of meaningful conversation with her and he can't he can't associate with the people he wants to associate with it was rigged but he loses the election to stay head of house it's, like, it's kind of like he's kind of losing a grasp on everything because he's been pretending for so long and he hasn't really got any footing anywhere and it's interesting because he assumes there's a certain monolith to to blackness and a lot of that is in relation to how whites view blackness mm -hmm. because when they have that election for head of house that's the most i think you see Troy using quote unquote black slang or black terminology. Most of the time he's trying to be more of the like, preppy version if you if you want to put labels on it, but you know, he's talking about getting people's hair done and all these things when he hasn't really made life for those students any better. He's just kind of kept the status quo. Sam gets up who doesn't really want to win and she's using it more as a platform to say 
we're going to have a march, we're going to revolt because gentrification is happening. It never happened at this house until it became the predominantly black house. And then that's when people got a little concerned, right? So just this whole notion that when groups of people of color are put together, there's going to be trouble. Like they, they aren't able to manage themselves or coexist without, without interference from others. And it's one of those things that I think you get a lot from Troy's dad, the dean and his relationship mm-hmm. with president fletcher because there's a lot of racial tension that go on with those two and in terms of who worked harder to get and who ended up in what positions definitely I do like that there's kind of like a showdown with sam and troy's father where they see each other kind of like he's not wrong necessarily about what he's saying to her and she definitely is able to come right back at him with the power struggle that he's got going on with the president and beyond what their roles are at the school there's parts of what he says that are right on in terms of like you have to understand the system that you are trying to change like you just can't do certain actions but then at the same time he also calls her out for being biracial you know and saying oh you're probably just confused right where she comes back and says well you've essentially cave to the system thinking that even though you think that you are fighting against it all right so it's a it's a very interesting back and forth between them like i i think that's a really underrated scene in the film kind of my favorite part when i first saw the movie and then i'm glad it held up when i rewatched it and what did you think of the media aspect to this film oh the coverage like they, they kind of keep going back to that news anchor yes yeah the the news anchor but also when this film starts before you even see anyone you you hear sounds from like maury povich you hear of a report of a of a race war you hear um bt's freestyle friday right like oh, yeah. it immediately sets the notion that there's a, a perception of blackness that is prevalent in the media and then you have the reality show producer that comes to the campus and he's looking for a particular type of black student to showcase on his show and he even says that in reality tv it's about the characters right and coco wants is desperately trying to get on this show but no she because she keeps pushing i mean rightfully so pushing back against a certain stereotype she just can't there's no interest for her to be on the show you know she's not militant enough like sam is and in many ways she has to stir the pot through the youtube channel and this epic party that she can play by the rules because again she sees the television as a a gateway to her financial freedom but i found it interesting because even if you look at the party and how the people come dressed it's very much a a media driven interpretation of of blackness there's a lot of guns and i think people trying to pretend like they're either drug dealers or pimps or really what was seared in my brain was someone pointing a gun at someone else and being like give me my money and i'm like where's my money i guess they did have the like obama mask but that like other than that it kind of just felt like they were trying to go for like the violent portrayal of black people yeah very much a a gangster theme and it was funny because about a week ago or so just going down the the rabbit hole that is youtube i came across a ted talk from a white pastor who started looking at like the music industry his whole talk was why is it that the only time you hear people openly talking of killing each other is in hip-hop music and he was starting to say like how that's made by design interesting you can't go to an executive and say i want to make a country album where you know talking about 
killing people and what have you. They're like, oh no, that's not going to sell. That's not going to sell. Whereas the whole narrative of the black thug, gangster, what have you, is profitable. And it's especially profitable for white teens who fantasize, live in that culture without actually having to incur any incidents themselves. But it was a very interesting talk. I don't know if I disagree with every point, but it did make me think about it a, a lot. I think I saw a clip of it and I was like, mm. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit through the whole thing because um, obviously, yes, I, based on what you're saying, he actually says in it, I feel like obviously he's got certain points. It's more like what people choose to do with that information he's giving and, and how much editorializing he's doing what, as he says it. Because, yes, this year, I don't think another genre could put out a bunch of songs about killing people, but it isn't just restricted to hip hop that people have talked about killing people in songs. What's what's making money now? in terms of hip-hop i mean not not even now like the, now it's all about drug use and sitting on your couch while you're high but like that's also a damaging image to put out there so i'm hoping that more what he's trying to say is that someone like Lil nas x who wasn't able to have his song be a part of the country chart the focus of it isn't anything violent kind of just hanging out on his horse stuff like that where they're where you're you're kind of boxed in as a black artist whether it be music or film i'm hoping that's more where his ted talk goes in and less just like oh yeah you know that's all they make and that's why everyone thinks they're so dangerous yeah no no he was he definitely wasn't saying that you know we need to to ban hip-hop or that if if you're talking about guns drugs the environment you know that it is a, a bad thing it's just he was condemning more the industry for okay. pitching holding yeah. little nas x is a is a perfect example you know old town road it's a catchy tune would it have blown up as big if billboard and whoever decided that it's not country even though it had been on the country charts for for how long like that's that's clear gatekeeping right there mm -hmm. it yeah. was fine when it was number 10 on the chart number 15 but then the minute it hits number one then we say uh-uh it's not it's not country exactly country must be x y and z and then you have billy race step up and say um it's music and music is supposed to cross jobs and then all of a sudden it becomes like the song of the year possibly one of the songs of the decade but it all became because of the the gatekeeping and i think that's something that happens a lot in this film there's a lot of people gatekeeping what blackness should be yeah and these students are are struggling to to navigate that gatekeeping definitely yeah i think that all that touches on like kind of what i like about it is that it does feel like more of a discussion than it does like a this is setting up what being black is it's, it's more of kind of like here's a mix of ideas and a, a conversation starter which i i always appreciate yeah, I love that as well. And I and I feel similar to what Get Out did a few years later. It really speaks to, I guess, white liberalism and the, I hate this term, but I'm going to use it anyway, the allyship of, of individuals. I'm sorry, I, I have I have personal issues with, with the term ally. I understand the sentiment, but... No, I know what you mean. I, I get it. I feel it's a, it's a term that allows you to step a foot in when it's convenient and then take that foot back when it's when it's not opposed to 
being there along for the struggle at, at every point. But that's just my own personal gripe. But in this film, you have, I would argue for the most part, outside of administration, most of the students they interact with feel that they are down for the cause. They're, you know, they're not racist. They're, they're good. Even someone like Kurt, who doesn't like Troy, he doesn't like Troy because of, you know, their, their father's feud or whatnot. But he doesn't necessarily feel that his ideas are offensive. Like, you know, to him, it's offensive to have these dear white people radio shows where you, right. you say yeah. that, you know, you need to now have two black people as friends before you can refer to my, my black friend makes me not racist. Like he, to him, that's offensive. It's definitely someone that does not appreciate questioning this system that's been put in place that gives him a, a, a leg up. That's definitely, that's kind of how I see him as someone who, so without being like he's good or bad, it's kind of just like he is not out to get black people in that sense. He's not one of those cartoonish villains where it's kind of like just because of the color skin. I, it's more like he likes things the way they are. All things, like if there was no dear white people, he probably would have struggled with who are we going to take down this year during our party. But like, because it's kind of like, people are poking around and being like well you know things aren't as good as you'd like them to be that's kind of where he's, he gets offensive or sorry defensive and kind of lashes out yeah because even when the the party goes on he thought he had canceled it in many ways he's wants to be the hero and somewhat the villain depending on what best suits him like he has no problem being homophobic to lionel and being just a straight up jerk to Lionel. And then other times he wants to try and be down with the black kids. Like he wants to eat in their, uh, their house because you know, they've got the best food and he just feels like he, he should be allowed to, to sit with them. Even though when it comes to their issues, he doesn't feel the need to, to stand up uh, alongside him. And he's an interesting contrast to someone like, I think it's Gabe. Who's the, yes, the Gabe TA is, uh, yeah. and Sam's um, love interest. And he is someone who, is more what you would want from a quote-unquote ally. Like, you know, he's there for the good and the bad. He actually takes time to to listen to Sam. You know, he calls her out when she's being a hypocrite, but still does it in a way that makes her think. Like, he's always trying to say, look, you do not need to conform to what everyone thinks. You know, you are you have power just by, by speaking your own truth. So it's... it's it's interesting to see how that plays out. But then again, you also have someone like George, who's the newspaper editor. Yeah, he's a rough character. <laughs> this, like, predatory guy that's, like, also just, he just kind of lets it fly with his, like, uh, prejudice. And just, he has such casual racism sometimes and even homophobia. Yeah, and it, it speaks a lot to both the treatment of people of color in the LGBTQ community and also media portrayal because he comes up to Lionel even though he knows Lionel has is writing for this other less read paper and he specifically comes to him because Sam is the new head of house so he wants Lionel to essentially be the black voice because he knows as a journalist if I write this article or any of my other predominantly white staff there's not going to be enough cred there you you get the sense they've never even set foot in that house they they don't know anyone else to go to but they go to him and then at the same time he's a 
somewhat of a predator to to Lionel. Oh yeah, a lot of this stuff is him like cornering Lionel, like pressing him up against the wall and stuff. Like, even if he's not doing it with his hands, it's like, it always feels like he's invading his space. And then when Lionel wants to cutting his hair, he he basically tells him like you know don't you dare like you know you you need to be my my chocolate M M&M. and M like you you have to be my plaything. He thinks that he's being, quote-unquote, a journalist trying to get to the story, and then what happens? They Both him and his colleague, they go to that party, and they're making the same racial jokes. They never once thought the invite alone should be a story, like how offensive this is to them. It was, oh, it's a party, great. I like that Sam brought that up when she was like, look, the invite went out, and instead of outrage, you had a bunch of people just going to the party. So your your student body kind of showed you where they're at. Yeah, and I feel like in many ways, Twitter is now that invite. Right. What certain people get, get outraged about, I find fascinating. Like, you know, I'll use the Trudeau example, since we had mentioned it earlier. Yes, yeah. There were a lot of people who were outraged by that. He needs to go. He's He needs to be fired for that. And then they were so outraged that they tweeted that picture every single time they mentioned his name. And then they also tweeted out, doctored photos so like when he's meeting obama he's meeting in blackface right if you were truly outraged and you really understood the historical ramifications of blackface and you know how painful it actually is you probably wouldn't be tweeting out yeah for everyone to see it's completely convenient because you know here in canada we had issues with don cherry and some comments he made and to this day i still have discussions with people who try and convince me that well you know don cherry what he said wasn't offensive and i say okay what about the other 500 things he said exactly that wasn't like a one-time thing that's that was kind of his brand that's all i ever knew about him the only thing i was like at least he hates white people not from canada too like that comment i got him fired it's it's hard luckily i wasn't I don't know anyone that was sticking up for it. Like, I think there was some knee-jerk reactions, but as soon as you kind of had the conversation with them, we'd be like, hey, do you understand what he said? And then basically anyone around me was like, oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, I get it now. I've had a, a few conversations with individuals who think he got fired unjustly because, you know, he's a Canadian hockey icon and, you know, he may have supported the troops he may donate to charity that's all great but when you heard the comments and then you watch the subsequent discussions that he had on the media and like you know when he quickly jumps to fox news and hops on tucker carlson and you hear his explanation and how you know certain people in northern ontario i.e where it's not as multicultured, you know know what he's talking about and agree with him he's like yes we know exactly what you're saying but it's it's just the interesting world that we we live in and i think twitter fosters a lot of pastiche kind of mentality because i think the same thing happened with little mermaid where they cast the woman from chloe and hallie who's on grownish as ariel and i like i'm sure there were people upset about it but like people specifically doctored a picture to make it look like there was this one person who was so upset about it but then you do a google search and you realize the picture they're using is of someone years ago who had no idea about what was going on and it's like creating that like frenzy online kind of clouds what the real issue is yeah and there's a there's a line it was in sam's film that she shows her class about the the party and the ramifications and one of kurt's crew talks about how we were all able to laugh about it and move on that's what makes this school so great and it's like well you guys didn't actually move on as a collective no just he was able to move on he's like yeah okay yeah exactly nothing happened to me 
And to your point with like the Little Mermaid and just a lot of casting because we're, we're both fans of cinema and especially now in this age where everyone has a voice on it when you get diverse casting or films that you know try and do something a little different it's met with a lot of pushback like a lot of oh they're just you know forcing diversity down our throats yeah it's such a weird there's certain prominent you know oscar pundits who are all like oh you know it should be about the quality of the film and not the person of color who made it what have you and then you think but the people who are the gatekeepers much like in, at the university here and in cinema have for years pushed a certain narrative yeah they made it about your skin color exactly <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't necessarily looking for the best quality which and obviously that argument gets annoying because the idea of that argument is that quality and the skin of like the color of someone's skin are kind of mutually exclusive and there's also the notion that non-person of color who's an actor or think of a producer that gets hired a director for a particular role it's inherent that they are just qualified they're talented mm -hmm. whereas you get a person of color in that role then it's you know people like kurt in the film yelling out affirmative action i think this film does a good job of holding a mirror up to the world and using humor to to remind us that we still have a, a long way to go 100 percent has reaffirmed that i i do think it, it is an important film i think yeah depending on what you're trying to judge it on but i, I think that our, our discussion is kind of highlighted where it becomes an important text to kind of study and pick apart and, and have a conversation about which yeah i'm just really happy it, it was made just a well-made film like even how it it looks you know i love the the way how they introduce the various houses and students you know and it's got a very distinct look to it like i i, I really do appreciate the the feel of it thank you very much any for coming on the show tell listeners uh, where can they find you online twitter is at the young guard y-u-n-g-g-u-a-r-d I'm on Instagram, Jess Youngard. There's no the at the front of it. I'm glad you mentioned both my podcasts. That doesn't usually happen when I'm on a podcast. Spoiled Rotten in Movies versus Matrimony. I contribute to that shelf list sometimes as well. So that's where you can kind of find me online. The one thing I didn't mention, you have an album out with the band that you were with. Oh, yeah. Wow, yeah. I feel really appreciated right now. <laughs> thank, thank you for looking at Yeah, I, we have a... I'm in a band called Sick, Wicked, and Nasty. We have a, an album out called Subtle But Tasty. It, it's been out almost four years now, but it's everyone's first time one time, right? It's, it's, it's music that doesn't really age itself, so it'll, it'll still feel fresh when you listen to it. There's a, a bunch of everything. There's hip-hop, there's rock, there's gospel, there's... Um, a bit of funk. jazz yep there is a bit of funk on there as well we are actually funny you mentioned it we are working on new music as well so there'll probably be an album out within the next year or so excellent so um, listeners can find the current album on I'm assuming spotify itunes yes. all the yeah all the streaming platforms excellent well thanks again for coming on listeners if you want to get in touch with me i'm at small mind on twitter or you can contact the show directly on twitter at Changing Reels AC. And remember, you can change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time.